This Blitz podcast is brought to you by Bravado Wireless. Available online at bravadowireless.com. The Blitz is broadcasting in HD on your FM dial. Turn your HD-equipped radio to 106.9 KHTT HD2. Sorry, I was off my own little world there, Matt. Uh, looking over a few uh, little notes from last night. Welcome back in. It's 132 here on the Blitz 1170. My name is Jeremy Poplin. That is Matt Hubbard. Let's hit up the hotline and uh, welcome in a gentleman. That was in Norman last night. That was on the call with Fran Frischilla. It was another Bedlam edition with Mark Neely on the play-by-play. What's going on, Mark? How are you, buddy? Hey, Pop. How are you, my man? I'm good. I'm good. It has been a while. I was just telling Matt the other day, I said, I don't think that we've talked to Mark since, uh, well, I think it was last year at this time during basketball season. So good to hear from you, man. How how you been? How's the family? It's it, great. I'm uh, at this very moment on I-35, just about to go through the Wichita area, heading home to Kansas City. Uh, it, it, I don't know what if it happened in Tulsa, but overnight, Norman, we got a little bit of that freezing rain, and it was a little icy. So I didn't leave Norman until about 11 a.m. after the temperature got above freezing because I'm not going to mess with ice. <laughs> we, no. we dodged yesterday's. Now, we've yeah. been – my daughter hasn't had school yeah. since, uh, well, at all this week. Uh, with everything here in the Tulsa wow. market. So, uh, yeah, it's been a little little bit of a trial, but uh, glad that we were able to fit in Bedlam last night, and uh, it was great to hear you on the call. I, I was telling uh, the audience earlier, boy, Fran was really kind of pounding the table last night towards the end of the broadcast for Oklahoma State being a tournament team and even quoted them as saying you could see them as being a second weekend team. Uh, we saw them play a, I don't want to call it like a perfect game, but that was pretty impressive from Oklahoma State, uh, especially in the first half, and then to continue to extend the lead. What a performance from the Pokes last night. Yeah, I'll tell you what, Pop, I, I, that's the third time I've seen Oklahoma State, and, and each of the games has been significant for different reasons. So the first time I saw them was the West Virginia game, January 2nd, and that, that's when Cisse uh, sprained his ankle. And in the second half, Caleb Boone, who really hadn't done much in the first half, and the absence of Cissé really sprung to life. And it's been since that second half of the West Virginia game where he has continued to, to trend upwards. There was one exception, and I happened to be on hand for that as well. That was the game at Baylor where it, it maybe that was rock bottom for Oklahoma State because they never led. I think Baylor scored the first 13 points of the game, and though uh, the, the Pokes got within a couple at one point, it, it just – it was not close all day, and they were playing without CSA. They were still figuring out how to do that. And now I see the end results because right after the, the Baylor game is when they put Woody Newton in there. And, and I think what, what Coach Boynton has been missing uh, is that is a good kind of that 3-4 swing man that, that Woody Newton has filled that role, and he's figured out where and when to play Cissé and, and, and Caleb as well. Because when he played them together, they really never used that high-low that like, like you would see when you're playing two basically big guys. But now he's saying where you know, Caleb has his role, we'll play him, and I don't think very often will you see the two of them on the floor at the same time. And it worked spectacularly well last night. You brought up Woody Newton, and we've talked about him quite a bit here as of late. Uh, Boyton has talked about what he provides from just being able to spread the floor. But I think to your point there, 
which is kind of the three, four type player that he is and seeing how he's grown into that role. And it, it look, it didn't happen overnight by any means, but him getting to this point, I he's making, I think a lot of coaches in the country a little bit jealous because who doesn't want a player like that now in the way that that basketball and the sport has kind of gravitated towards of having that three, four guy, he's seemingly perfect for it right now and has fit in really well with his teammates. Yeah. Pop, I, I think that, the two most important positions right now in college basketball, no, number one is point guard. I mean, you got to have somebody that can distribute the ball. Uh, and without that, you're, you're, you're going to have a lot of problems. And, and right behind that, I think, is that three, four swing guy, the way that the game has evolved the way it is right now. Uh, I mean, you just look at different teams, uh, not only around the Big 12, but around the nation. I mean, if, you, if you've got that guy, you know, who, who can be a matchup problem, uh, it, it can cause a lot of headaches for opponents, no doubt. Caleb Boone, you've seen him a number of times now over the last couple of years. Is this the the highest level of confidence that you've seen out of Caleb? Because that's the first thing that jumps off to me when I watch him play now. Yeah, I, I think I even said that on air at some point last night. That's the most confidence I've ever seen Caleb play with. And when I saw him early in the year, like I said, it was the second half against West Virginia where he, he kind of sprung to life. Uh, and after the game last night, Fran Fraschilla and I went by to, to see Coach Boynton, and, and we're in the, the post-locker room, and, and I know Fran and, and, and Caleb have, have known each other for a long time. In fact, Caleb, by the way, he, when they were up 20 points at one point, every time Caleb would go by our TV table, he would wink at, at Fran, you know, <laughs> which did not make Mike Boynton very happy at one point. After the, you know, after the game, Mike Boynton, and this was the weekend edge, friend. I had to pull him out of the game and say, hey, you know what? Stop doing that. Just wait <laughs> wait till after the game. So Caleb was really feeling his oats, man, He, he and which is great for him because he's a great kid. I'm sure having his twin brother around all these years and then now this year not was probably a little bit of an adjustment. But he, he's found his role now, and he's prospering. So the, the other thing as well is that uh, rebounding, which has been a storyline for Oklahoma State uh, here as of late. And, of course, with Cissé's injury, of course, that's, that's more than likely going to be a thing. But the Cowboys last night at 10-board advantage, they cleaned up on the offensive glass as well. And then that led to, I think, 13-2 to advantage in second-half points. Um, I don't know if all of their rebounding issues are completely over with or whether this is just a matchup that's beneficial to them against Oklahoma. But in the times that you've seen them, that clearly was their best rebounding performance last night. But is all of that fixed, I guess, is what I'm trying to ask. Well, I think your, your latter point is, is the more pointed one right now. And, and not to pick on OU at a moment when, in a four-day span, they went from an extremely high of, of highs, beating number two Alabama, and the court storming, and it – you know, I wasn't there personally for that one, but watching it from afar, it just seemed to be one of the great moments at, at, at Lloyd Noble Center. And it was a picture-perfect day for OU on Saturday. And then you go four days later, and last night was a nightmare. And and, and, and I don't think I'm saying anything that's, that's out of bounds here. I mean, OU is not the most giftedly athletic team. Uh, if you're going to say which team is more athletic, Oklahoma State or OU, I don't think there's really any comparison. It's definitely... Oklahoma State, and that showed itself uh, on the rebounding side. Um, you know, quite frankly, if I'm looking at, at Oklahoma, and we just had the FCC Big 12 Challenge, I had TC uh, uh, Texas Tech at LSU, and by midway through in the second half, 
LSU, who like Texas Tech, came in with a long losing streak, but LSU was just tired of the physical pounding. Mm. And Texas Tech won that game and snapped their losing streak. And I'm not saying every team in the SEC is like this, but there is no doubt that the Big 12 is a more physical conference. And the officials have let them play that way. I mean, I think there are certain things that are called fouls in different conferences that are not fouls in the Big 12 with physical play. But that's just my own personal opinion. But, you know, Oklahoma, really their style of play and how they want to play for Porter Mosier fits better in the SEC. So we'll see when that move actually happens to the SEC for OU. But uh, the physical pounding, the athleticism uh, in the Big 12, uh, Oklahoma State's a team that's more equipped for that than OU right now. I know Sherfield finishes with 14, but really kind of inefficient uh, of at least getting to that point. I mean, they're going to go as far as he can take them on a, on a nightly basis, I feel like. Um, now they tried. I mean, they kept attacking the rim, but they just could not buy a bucket at all for significant stretches of that game last night. And I, I love Grant. I think he's a great kid. And, and the first time I saw him with OU, I, I had OU down in Orlando at the ESPN events tournament over Thanksgiving, and OU wound up winning that tournament. And I'm like, wow, you know, Grant's, Grant's a guy. This is a really good pickup from the transfer portal for Porter. Um, and not to nitpick on him, though, he, other teams are going to target him. I mean, they're going to like, hey, let, let's shut down Sherfield. There's a very good reason for that because he can be a very potent scorer. But when they really body him up and get physical and maybe he doesn't get a call that he was hoping to get, he is visibly frustrated on the court. Other teams see that. He did that again last night. You could see where he was visibly frustrated. He's going to have to move past that because it's not going to stop. And the more and more teams see you that it does upset you on the floor, they're going to do it even more. Uh, Martin Ely is our guest here on the Blitz 1170 uh, with uh, your comments there about the style of play for OU and the SEC and from everything that you've seen from the conference. Uh, I feel like you would be a great person to ask, in your opinion, who's the best team that you've seen so far in the Big 12? Well, i tell you what, Pop. I, I think the best team, excuse me, and, and this, this goes for every team, you know, when everybody's healthy. The fact that TCU brought every starter back from a team last year that really <laughs> – kind of got some bad officiating when they were about to knock off the number one seed, Arizona, the NCAA tournament. When everybody's healthy, and they're not right now. I know Eddie Lampkins had issues, and Mike Miles right now is banged up. So they're, that, that's mainly the prime reason they lost in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. But when they're all healthy, I think TCU really is the best team. They showed that, what they can do at Allen Fieldhouse. When they're all healthy and, and playing as well as they can, you know, they ran in there and absolutely embarrassed Kansas at Allen Fieldhouse, and that doesn't happen very often. Now, I, we'll see what happens uh, as far as the the injuries to Miles and how long this takes with Lampkin. But it, I think TCU the, has the best overall talent. Now, that may or may not translate into winning the Big 12 regular season. And here comes Oklahoma State hitting them coming up this weekend. And, I mean, if you're looking yeah. for marquee wins – um, this is one the time that they, they need to continue to pad that resume and get closer to 500 or get to 500. You're kind of hitting TCU at, at somewhat of a – if there is a good time, I think it would probably be now. Yeah, and, and I haven't heard the latest on the injury to Mike Miles, but obviously that's, that's key for what happens this weekend and, and uh, with Oklahoma State because certainly the folks are trending in the right direction. You know, the one loss they have had since they've really made this transition – to playing four guards and picking up the pace a bit was a loss at Texas. and 
that was by double digits. But, hey, you know, Texas is a really good team, and Texas may be the team that eventually wins the Big 12 regular season. They're certainly one of the handful of teams that have a decent shot at it. Uh, but when I look at OU, to get back to, to the Bedlam matchup, you know, the, that loss last night, for me in many ways, basically says this team, the road for them to make the NCAA tournament, is extremely difficult, and I don't yeah. think there's a path. When you look at their schedule the rest of the way, it's brutal. You know, to go from two to seven or eight conference wins, which is what it's going to take to get yourself in that large bit, you know, I don't see that many wins on the schedule for OU. No, unfortunately not. Um, and I, I know you, your comments earlier, uh, just about from the athletic style, I think uh, that there are some major questions that need to be answered in terms of just the roster building coming up with a Porter over the next year or so. Uh, but you're right. Uh, and, and it just in this conference, yeah, trying to say a team that has two right now, as we just flip to February, can they get to that many wins? I just, I, I think you're 100% correct. The, the road is, is, is very bumpy. And you know what, Pop? I don't, I don't want that to sound like a criticism of Porter Moser at all, because I'm a huge Porter fan. I think he was 100% the right hire, and I think Porter's done some great things. The way he has engaged the student body, uh, he's he's the right guy for the job. Now, you know, I, if if I'm Porter, there are some things I would like from the administration to move forward uh, to kind of help propel the program. But I, you know, I think Porter's the guy. He just doesn't have the team and the athleticism he would quite like at this point of his tenure there. How was uh, Boynton uh, after last night with picking up win 100? You know, Mike's always – he's Mr. Cool in my eyes, <laughs> and I really like Mike. He, 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 he didn't show – you know, when we were talking to him after the game in the locker room, it, it, his, his, his countenance, everything he was saying would have been the same had they lost it. And, you know, he was just like, yeah, we did this well, this, this. And we went over different things. And, and uh, you know, he, he was just matter-of-fact about it. Uh, you know, I, what, what I think – where, where Coach Boynton and all the players I know just call him Coach Mike, how he connects so well with his team is, you know, I don't, I don't know if Mike's turned 40 yet, but he's close. Uh, he's either 39 or 40, but he's still young enough that I think the generation that are his players still identifies with him as a, as a pretty young guy. And he's certainly a young guy at heart, and, you know, at 40, he's not an old man by any means. Uh, but he, he's got a really good connection with, with his players, I mean, there's there's a deep tie there. So I, I you know, I respect what Mike has done. You know, the, the circumstances in how he got the job was, was certainly unusual, but it's one that he's embraced, and he's, you know, 100 wins now as of last night at uh, at Oklahoma State. So a uh, nice achievement for him. I probably should have given you a heads up on this question. Uh, so if you don't want to answer, I completely understand. <laughs> and what, what what a way to preface the next question, right? Very but, intriguing. What do you but, got next? But Bob, I, yeah. th- this is a this is a broadcasting question, okay? And I was I okay. was going to reach out to you when we saw what happened with Demar Hamlin, because I I marveled mm-hmm. at the situation that the broadcasters were in in that moment, and I listened to interviews separately uh, with Joe Buck and Troy Aikman about how they were handling what was happening on the field. Uh, you went through the situation, obviously, with uh, the unfortunate passing of Mike Kulba, uh there with the drillers. Um, mm-hmm. From a broadcaster's perspective, did you did you feel for Joe and Troy being kind of on that stage and having to relay information and how quickly it has to go from a sports broadcast to you're instantly like a news broadcast? I was just kind of fascinated from a broadcaster's perspective on uh, that entire scenario through your eyes. 
Yeah, you know, you're taking me back to, to, to when Mike passed away and that, that terrible night in uh, 2007, I believe it was. I think uh, so. The years have gone by so fast. But, uh, yeah, they, they don't teach you that in journalism school. I'll say that. They, they, you know, they, they, they teach you a lot of important things. But dealing with a uh, you know, where they had basically had to save DeMar's life on the field and then, unfortunately, Mike losing his life uh, when he was our, our first base coach for the drillers is, is a difficult situation. You don't want to speculate. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, Scott Price, the Sports Illustrated, did a tremendous book on Mike and everything that led up to that night mm. and, and what happened that night and interviewed all of us that were there on site when it happened. And, you know, I've read it once, and, and there are some books. I mean, it's a really good book, and a lot of books that I like that are really great I'll read a second time. But I, I, don't, I don't want to read that one a second time. Right. I, I lived it as it happened, and it's yeah. really, really hard. It's still hard to think about it uh, to this day. But, but – if here's what happened that night. So the night you're speaking of was the night of the Oklahoma state, West Virginia game in Stillwater. So I'm in Stillwater doing the game with Chris Patola. That's the game where Cisse sprained his ankle and, and uh, <laughs> a little humorous sidebar where uh, Eric Stevenson of West Virginia was leading in a, a tit for tat with Marcus smart, who was sitting at midcourt, made an appropriate <laughs> gesture. <laughs> And it played a part in the game. And Bob Huggins was so angry, he didn't even participate in the handshake line, and that wasn't a slight at Mike Boynton from from uh, Huggs. It was just how upset Huggs was with, with Stevenson. So it was a weird finish to the game, and I remember saying when it ended, hey, Bills, uh, Bengals is, is over on ESPN and ESPN2. I think our game was on, on ESPNU. And I was going to drive home to Kansas City after the, after the game because we had a 6 o'clock tip. It's 8 o'clock, four hours, I'm back home. And I get in the car and turn on Westwood One, and that's how I heard about it. Yeah. So I didn't see everything that happened with Joe and uh, and with Troy. Uh, I've seen segments of it, but I didn't see it live as it was happening. I did hear the Westwood Run uh, One radio call as it was going on, and they handled it extremely well, uh, also. But it had to be, you know, one of those spots where it's it's testing your uh, your your. You just you want to be being accurate. You, you, you don't want to spec. That's the first thing they always tell us at ESPN or wherever I've worked. You know, when you see an injury, even if it's somebody tweaking an ankle, like Cisse did that night, or you know, don't speculate unless you can really tell. You well, you could tell that Cisse turned his ankle. Yeah. You know, we had video of that. But you know, is it a knee injury? Is it a hamstring? Whatever. Don't speculate. And and they didn't do that, but they knew how severe and and how you know life and death this situation was. And I. I don't think they could have handled it any better. It was, uh, yeah, the, to hear Joe and Troy talk about it, um, that kind of echoed your sentiments was Joe was like, you know, that's just one of those things that you, you are not ever prepared for at all and have no idea how to handle it. But, um, you know, to your point on accuracy, Joe was dead set on, I just wanted to make everything that was that was happening uh, be as factual and uh you know, not lead anyone down a path that uh, would ultimately come back to to not only haunt me, but to haunt the broadcast and to those that are being affected by this right now. So yeah. I just thought that I would ask you, man, and sorry if that uh, took you back down a path, but I was fascinated by um, sitting there watching that, knowing that you had gone through a similar scenario. Yeah, it, it, that that night, you know, it's uh, you know since we're gonna go down that path a little bit, you know, I remember because Stu Cole was our manager and. When I got to the clubhouse after an ambulance had come and taken Mike off the field, and we got word from our athletic trainer that Mike had passed, it was just me and the coaches in the office. And Stu Cole looked at me and he said, 
don't say anything to the players. Uh, let me figure out what to do, but I'm going to go to the – and Stu went to the hospital. Uh, and I remember walking out and Tino Sanchez, who had hit the ball, that, that hit my no fault of his own, obviously, mm-hmm. came up to me and asked me, hey, do you have any word on, on Mike? And I had to absolutely lie to his face and say, no, that was one of the most heartbreaking things Oof. Uh, that happened that night. And then I went into the, the Arkansas Travelers office where Bill Valentine, who ran the team, was on the phone with Mike's brother, Scott Coolbaugh, who was a coach for the Frisco team in the Texas League at the time. And Scott was trying to get an update. And Bill Valentine looked at me and said, hey, will you tell Scott about Mike? And I'm like, you know, that's the bridge that I cannot cross tonight. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I know Scott as well. I said, that, that one I can. So, you know, and the situations were different with Demar Hamlin and, and, and Mike, you know, in, in, in shades. But the main thing they share is that, you know, a, a, a man's life was, was on the line. You know, that night, fortunately, they saved Mars, and unfortunately, we weren't able to that night with Mike. Well, Mark, it was great hearing you last night, man. Uh, thank you for taking a few moments to come on with us today, and uh, we'll definitely have to do this more often, man. Uh, but uh, you killed it, as always, and uh, really thoroughly enjoyed yeah. the broadcast. Yeah, sorry to end on a downer no, note no, like no. that. I mean, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot no, of great basketball ahead. You know, I, I'm really encouraged for Oklahoma State fans, uh, you know, because it's been a while. They had to deal with not being able to even have a chance at the tournament and got a shaft from the NCAA. And, you know, I think they've got, uh, you know, they're not the, the most talented team, but they, they play hard. They've, they've got some ability and they've, you know, I think they know right now what it's going to take to win. And I think this is a team that's definitely going to make the NCAA tournament. Listen, the conference in its, in itself, just in, in totality is a ton of fun to watch because you just never know night in, night out, what's going to happen off, off of the strength of every single team that's here. Yeah. That's uh, great. It's a uh, lot you of know fun. What, you know what this is, and I'm going to show my age. I, you remember when Big Monday really became big on ESPN? It was the Big East that was the monster. That's right. Conference in the late '80s, early '90s. You know, you'd get Georgetown taking on St. John's, Villanova, whoever it was, and those games were just street fights, absolutely physical. Where I think the philosophy of the coaches and players in the Big East at that time was. Well, the officials can't call every foul. <laughs> so <laughs> yes. we're just going to keep playing as physical and hard as we can. And that's where the Big 12 is right now. It really is. I mean, you, you, I feel for the officials because you can sit there. If you want to break every game down in a microcosm, yeah, there's some calls that get missed. There's some calls that are made that shouldn't have been. But, man, I don't envy those guys at all because it just, it's just a fight. And I think the SEC teams found that out uh, facing the Big 12 teams last weekend. And uh, great personalities back in those days, too, right, with all the coaches from the Big East that, quite frankly, didn't like each other. And <laughs> you just yeah, you, you, no. you never knew from what night if someone was going to go off on someone or not. <laughs> that hatred was real. Now, it's different in the Big 12 now. The coaches really all have a lot of respect for each other. And the, the, uh, you know, winning the last two national championships and heck, I mean, Texas Tech was one made basket away, you know, back in 2019 for winning one as well. So there's a lot of respect between the coaches. But back then, you're right, man. That, that hatred was real. Uh-huh. And that's, that's, that's what made it so much fun to watch back in the day. There is no doubt. Mark, I appreciate you, man. Thanks for taking a few extra moments. Uh, safe travels on your way back to Kansas City. And always appreciate you. Oh, anytime, Pop. Talk to you soon, brother. Thanks. That's Mark Neely joining us here. He was on the call last night for ESPN on the Bedlam matchup as Oklahoma State gets another win. Uh, and you heard that game also right here on the Blitz 1170. So, Matt, I probably feel like I need to fill you in if you are unaware. Uh, 
the story that we were bringing up was about Mike Coolbaugh, who was the driller's hitting coach, who at the time at my previous employer, we, we carried the games. And that night, July 23rd, 2007, um, top of the ninth inning, he was coaching first base when he was hit in foul ter- territory by a liner off the bat, the DH. And, I mean, he it came off the bat so hot he barely even had time to move before he was hit. Trainers from both teams rushed, um, and they treated him on the field until an ambulance arrived. And he did not regain consciousness and was not breathing when paramedics began administering CPR on the field. He was taken to the hospital where he then passed away. He was 35, I believe, when he died. And Mark was on the radio at that time having to, having to call this. And, uh, yeah, it's, it, was an, it was an awful and heartbreaking scene that played out. So that's the reason why I had to ask Mark about that, of seeing that. And I, I don't know if I mentioned this on the air, but it, I think I might have. Maybe it was with Rick. But when I saw that happen and th- seeing the spot that Joe and Troy were in and having to be able to describe this, you know, there's not many individuals that have been in a situation uh, like that. And Mark is one of the first people that came to mind. All right, it's 157 here on the Blitz. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back. Let's talk a little college football, shall we, on the opposite side. Mike Craven is going to join us next here on the Blitz 1170. Thank you for listening to this exclusive Blitz 1170 podcast from Bravado Wireless.